Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Stephen Jones, this is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thank you for joining us. Who would have thought the last time we were together that the name Ange Capuazzo would be ringing right through the rugby world? Nobody, but it is today. I'm Stephen Jones. We have with us today Alan Dimmock and Sam Warburton. Last time Sam was on, people in their hundreds wrote to see how good he was. Not a single person said anything about you or me, Al. Yeah, well, it's it's typical. story of a lifetime, isn't it? <laughs> Well, he's not. Well, still not won a journalistic award I know of. But he, no one, no one wrote it at all. But everyone was all over him. It's bloody terrible, honestly. We just played a few games the Lions. Anyway, brief, brief thoughts on the weekend. Hi, Sam. Well, well welcome, mate. And um, just a brief thought from both of you lads about the weekend. Sam, uh, climax of the Six Nations. It was all happening. Oh, it didn't disappoint again. The Six Nations from an entertainment value. I think it's great and romantic that France went at home with. A winning try from Dupont, you know, so that, that was very fitting and thoroughly deserved. Uh, Ireland finished strong. Scotland, I think, showed their inconsistencies again, really. They can peak for a, a really big emotional performance, but just that consistency is lacking. And Wales have probably had their most humbling day in 15 years um, and darkest day in 15 years. So plenty going on to talk about, but a great entertaining day. Uh, some people say a dark day, but if you're, and I apologise for this, Sam, but if you're not Welsh, what a phenomenal <laughs> result that was on Saturday morning. Now, as you can imagine, as the Scot in the room, I'm going to choose to ignore the game in the middle, but to see the Italians get the monkey off the back for the first time in seven years, but not only that, to do it in such thrilling, breathtaking fashion at the end with the emergence of a new star that Steve mentioned right at the top. I mean... For the neutrals out there, and particularly for the Italians, what a phenomenal moment. I, I remember doing a piece recently with the guys uh, who were in the last time Italy won a Six Nations match, and bless them, I can't blame them for this. F- few of them could remember a lot of the details, because it was so long ago. So yeah. to have this now, fair play, and it just teed up what was a, an, an excellent day of rugby. We'll um, come to that. My memory is not of the weekend. It's of um, Friday, Saturday night, in uh, or rather early Sunday morning, when Eddie Jones was asked uh, what, what, what any message for England followers, and he said, they've got to be patient, mate. Well, mate, they've been patient for long enough, as far as I'm concerned, mate. And some, somewhere, mate, we need a new coach, mate, or England need a new coach. That's my opinion. 
So we'll see what, hap- what happens to that. Uh, coming up on this week's podcast, we'll look back on all the action, including wins for France, Ireland and Italy. We'll discuss France's historic Grand Slam. And also, we've got something really worth listening to, or even more worth listening to than us three, and that's um, France's head of performance, Thibaut Giroud, will join us to explain how he has transformed this French team. And really, I do mean transformed it. Um, then we'll pick our God and Goddess of the Week. First, um, Sam, this, can we start with um, with the Grand Slam winners? Um, uh, they, they threatened to win it all the way through. People now and again think, well, you can upset France, but no one did. And were, were the Grand Slam winners for you? Yeah, definitely worthy Grand Slam winners, I thought and predicted. You know, when we sat down together a while ago, when we wrote our columns, who we thought was going to win, I thought it would be a, a, a French Grand Slam. And uh, you know, and they've been building quietly and nicely for the past few years as well. It's not like a, a championship out of the blue. Um, say like Wales won one in five games in 2020. Then they won the championship the year after, back to only winning one in five this year round. But France has been consistently good now for three years. They've been they've been knocking on the door for a while. Thoroughly deserve it. And I think the biggest thing we've learned and that coaches will pick up from this campaign as well is that the importance of having power athletes in your pack who can handle and having backs who have as much emphasis at defensive breakdown as the forwards. And because they got that across the board from one to 15, they defend like crazy at the breakdown and take immense pride in that. And similarly, they've got players from one to 15 who are comfortable handling and carrying with, with a great level of power to it as well. That's why an island are close to that. You know, they're, they're very close. That's why those two teams are separated from everyone else. So, mm. yeah, definitely worthy winners. And they've they've moved on when the, the other home nations haven't. I'd actually go a step further than Sam here and say that those two teams, as well as being a little bit of a distance ahead, they're also very aware of who they are in terms of the style of play that they want. Now, France and Ireland actually play a very different style of rugby. Uh, Ireland are all about volume and hitting things and building pressure whereas France are happy to punt the ball away and say you have it for a while it's all about efficiency with them now the red zone efficiency might not quite be as good as Ireland at the moment but when I say efficiency I mean across the park you know they're about those little victories here there and everywhere and it was noticeable uh, this game against England that um, France's ruck speed efficiency uh, France's um, red zone efficiency against England was 4.4 so compared to England 0.88 that, that's from uh, Ross Hamilton uh, the analyst uh, friend of the podcast and what that tells us is that when France wanted to go for it they were ruthlessly efficient and against England guess how much time they spent in England's 22 46 seconds and they came away with all those points because mm. they just know who they are. They go, do we need to get some points here? Great. If we don't, we don't want the ball. You have it. And it's just, I think there's a lot of other teams out there that would be delighted to say, we know exactly who we are. We know exactly what style we play. And in any given opportunity, that is our identity. So, Sam, did you, they lack of anything. Um, they didn't actually have what you might call a Sam Warburton or a Richie McCaw in their team, do they? How do they get around that not having a real specialist seven? They they have because because everybody will just contributes like yeah. so you know when I was say when I when I played and, and still sevens now you might have I remember a, a good game I probably compete at fifteen to eighteen rucks you know mm. but when the when the game is say now might be 
a hundred odd, 130 rucks, you know, that means I can only influence one in six rucks. So like, you know, it needs to be a skill set across the team. So because Fiku will dip in and do it, Dante will dip in and do it, Marshawn will dip in and compete. Obviously, Aldrich competes. DuPont will compete three, four, five times because mm. they do it across the board. And they, I reckon they compete at 90% of rucks. That's something Sean does. He wants to cause havoc at every ruck. So the moment England only... Um, have ball carrier plus one, which which happened on a lot of occasions. They ran out of system. They ran out of shape. Well, because there's a, there's a, a good threat there, then they they pounce and get the ball because they're relentless at competing. So, I think that's a, a something that a lot of defense coaches can learn. It's be, making sure you don't just hang your hat on one or two players who can compete for you. Mm. I think the game's moving now, and particularly with the jackler not move uh, the ball carrier not being able to move on the floor, not being able to have that second role on the floor has really brought the jackler back into play. And I remember when the rule change, law change came in, no movement on the floor. I watched the first game in the Southern Hemisphere somewhere. And I remember texting an analyst who was working with Wales at the time. I just went, the jackler's back. So mm. if, if they want to try and reduce the effectiveness, the effectiveness of the jackler, we're all talking about how the 50-22 has been a great rule, which it has. But if you want to actually promote free-flowing rugby, which world rugby want to do, I would actually bring back in the role if their priority is more attack and rugby, because I think not being able to move on the floor makes it so much easier for the jacklers to compete. And we're seeing more backs than ever compete over the ball. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that jackler doesn't move, uh, the ball carry doesn't move anymore on the floor to change the picture. So, but I mean, I, I enjoy it. If I was playing, I'd be loving it because the ball's there on a plate for you. And if you win the race there, you get the ball. But and, and, Gregory you second movement. and Gregory Audrey is making a lot of hay there at the moment, isn't he? Oh, big time. I mean, he's, he's so good there. But imagine if you watch a lot of those examples and the ball carrier is allowed to wriggle forward another one metre or have a 360 roll or, you know, like kind of double do that double present where you can present and spin and present again. That buys an extra one second for your support players, which is massive. So if World Rugby are enjoying what they're seeing and the defence is having a bit more dominance than before... Um, it makes it much harder for attack and keep the rule but if you want attack and rugby to be a priority then I would actually bring back the second movement on the floor Okay, well it's very interesting lads um, this stage we're going to go on to uh, Thibaut Giroud who's the head of French performance and basically to tell us where this French team came from Lucky enough to be joined here by uh, Thibaut Giroud, the head of performance for the French national team. Uh, Thibaut, uh, is the party still going on in Paris? Uh, well, I'm sure um, there's some guys still uh, still on it. Um, we we stayed all together after the the game. Obviously, we had like a a big party with the families and and then uh, sponsors and and then all the players and coaches and stuff. And then some of the from the guys um, went for another meal. Um, a lunch um, on a Sunday and then um, a lot of the guys left coaches and stuff Sunday night uh, but I'm pretty sure some of the guys stayed in um, and then they are uh, they're all sleeping now <laughs> so, and who can who can blame them uh, yeah, Thibaut sure. obviously it, it all culminated with a, a massive win uh, at home on Saturday night the end Super Saturday Grand Slam first one for 12 years but I was wondering if you could take us right back to when you first came in and uh, when Galtier first started making his plans, 
what was the big message? What did you guys want to change uh, with this France setup and the style that you played and the type of athletes that you had to get to this point? Well, I think the, the, one of the ma- uh, massive key points for us was to get involved for the for the Japan World Cup in 2019. Um, so Fabian Galtier called me up. I was I was at Toulon at the time, and then um, I was coaching Toulon, and then um, so the French team call me up uh, to take over um, as the same role as I have now um, for the World Cup uh, in Japan. So Fabian came, I came, and Laurent Labitte, the attack coach, came. Um, so to be part of the staff from uh, from the previous uh, um, head coach. Um, so I think for us it was like massive buying time because we, we, we got there. Um, I planned everything. Thing for the for the um, for the for the World Cup, you know, for the preparation and everything, and then for us was that was massive to get involved there um, because we actually realized what we had to do and and then um, you know where we are where the French team was the last ten years, and I think that would that would be much different. That would have been much different if we came later, like after the World Cup in November when the other coaching staff came in. Um, so yeah, for, for us, I think if there's one massive key key thing for us is to be involved with the with the 2019 World Cup. That's where we are. Uh, we realized that we had to change everything: the performance size, the culture, the play, the, the way of the way of playing, um, how how we train, uh, because France had had like a massive culture of of not training too much, pretty much, or maybe training very general. Um, so. So you know we had to change everything, and then we we had to make a make a you know statement that if you want to be part of that team, then that's that's where you have to be. Um, so that was that was for us massive. That's why we made the decision to uh, to go very aggressive on the on the World Cup preparation. We lost about around fifteen players through through injury, but we had to go through that revolution. Other nations, other teams did that previously. But we had to do it. Otherwise, um, that was not just to take everybody to World Cup and just and just to be nice with people. We had to uh, to be very aggressive in, and then we were attacked by media, clubs, players back back in that that time because obviously the the the, the level of um, performance or level of training, the the intensity that we put in, you know, then they were not used to that. So obviously, some of the boys were not ready for that. Uh, they were too big or too slow or not used to uh, to uh, to get that kind of training, so so we were like we had like a lot of crit- criticizing during that time, but we we just we just kept going and then uh, and then um, because we like we knew that we had to get ready for uh, after that World Cup. So yeah, for, for for me and then for us, the key point was that 2019 World Cup. Okay, now I've spoken to you and you've you've spoken to other people about the the job that you had on getting this front five in particular to be as efficient as possible. I was just wondering if you could explain to us the job that you guys have done with the front five forwards that in this playing group that you've got and, and what you've done with them to get them up to the level where they're playing some pretty frightening rugby now. Yeah, well, you know, um, France always been, because we don't speak the same language, because rugby's been, you know, all the decision, all the, all the science, everything, you know, is pretty much Anglo-Saxon things, and and then we, the, one of the only country not speaking English, and then we, we we have the tendency of looking at you know at ourselves and not maybe looking at what's going on outside. 
So, you know, one of the main thing when we, when we came is to, you know, look at where we were and then what was the best out there, you know, either England or All Blacks or South Africa or all the, all the, the big teams. Um, and then, so we, we compare to, uh, to them, um, you know, all, you know, everything on the performance side or rugby or what kind of athlete we had and what they, uh, what the players were able to do and what the other were able to do. So the, the, the main, the first job we had and especially in my side, in my, in my field is to compare with everybody else to see where we stand. And then we realized we were far away from every, everything, especially in the performance side. Um, and then especially in the front five, I have to say the front eight, uh, the boys were too big, too slow. Um, could keep up, couldn't, couldn't play high intensity rugby. Um, it's either they were good into um, contact intensity, intensity, or they were good in, in in running intensity, but they couldn't combine both. Um, they they were slow off the ground. They were slow reloading offensively. They were slow line speed defensively. You know, they had to combine the uh, the high intensity running and the high intensity combat. Um, you know, was like, was a, a main thing. So it's like um, you know. We have, you have two rocks. You have a rock who weigh 20 kg, and then uh, you have a rock who weigh 10 kg, and then you you throw the rock against the wall. The two rocks against the wall. Most of the people thought that's the 20 kg rock who's gonna make make some more damage, but it's not. It's a 10 kg uh, rock because you can produce more acceleration. Thibaut, is that Gabin Villiers? See the 10 kg rock. Yeah, well, I'm talking more about the front fives. That's why we we asked them to lose a lot of weight. You know. Like Paul Riemse, yeah. couldn't make the, the the World Cup prep. Lost, he lost about twelve kg. Uh, the second one lost about ten. Um, Bernardo Hussein lost about ten. Um, the props, I mean, they all they all did a great job because they they, they bought into what we try to do, and then they um you know they uh they did what we asked, and and also the clubs, the top fourteen clubs helped us a lot because. Because they were uh, they were behind us and then uh, understood what we we try to do and and then bought, bought into it. So that that's a, that's a collective work. Can I ask you a question yeah. about you, you're talking about a big transformation from from sheer weight to to, to power and pace, etc. And you're talking about sort of changing the whole culture of, of French rugby, etc., which you've successfully done. But did you expect while this process was ongoing that you would continue to win your matches? Because sometimes when you change the culture, you maybe have a two, one or two bad seasons until it, till it becomes ingrained, but you've just won the Grand Slam. Yeah, no, I know, but, but we... You know, we had to do the our revolution. That's what I said. We, mm. like I said, we took the world, the world, the Japan World Cup. Um, you know, as as um, as a laboratory um, to to put our system in place, and then uh, and after the World Cup, we changed a lot of um, of, of the players uh, because a lot of the players were at the end of their career. So we decided to to go for young players that we can for format, and then we can. We can actually uh, build, and then we can actually, um, you know, you know, like uh, transfer all the quality that we wanted for the game plan mm. to those young players. Um, so that was the main thing. And then the message, the message was sent after the World Cup that if you want to come to the French team, then you have to be in top shape, and then you cannot be overweight. You cannot be not out of shape in in terms of general preparation. So when it comes to 
camp after the World Cup, they knew that they had to be ready and then they knew that they had to do uh, a lot of work in the, in the performance side because we, we will not accept players who are who you have to develop general things. You know, mm. that's the club job. That's when they're in the club. When they come to national team, if they don't have the uh, specific attribute, you know, a specific target that we wanted for, for the performance, then uh, we, we we couldn't pick the, the, the boys. So they, because the, the preparation for the World Cup was so hard, for so tough for them, they they knew that if, after the World Cup, you know, they knew they had to come up in, in top shape and then, and then uh, and then uh, and then develop the specific target that we wanted. If not, then we'll pick up we'll pick someone else. But also we we had the chance to have you know a great a great generation of young players too. You know because like I said, you cannot make a, a dolphin um, a shark. You know so <laughs> so um, so you know we 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 really we very lucky that we 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 have that generation with us now. Guys, um, at the Stade de France on, on, on uh, Saturday evening or Saturday night almost, um, I thought it was the, probably the most amazing atmosphere I'd ever experienced. The singing of the, of the anthem was up there with, <laughs> with, 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 with the Welsh National Anthem in Cardiff and probably as loud as anything I've ever heard. The tension was massive. I just wonder, the guys, early on, France blew a couple of tries and... and and never didn't put England away, maybe as much as they should. Were there some nerves at play there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, th this question was put to me before about will France be nervous for the Grand Slam game, even though mm. they've shown so much dominance? Oh, my goodness, of course, because this is the moment which they would have stumbled on a couple of times before. Not a definitive Grand Slam game, but the two championships gone by, they've fallen at, at hurdles and... This is the time they needed to prove to themselves they can deliver when, when the pressure is on. And you know that that's what you get judged on. If they lost that game, the, the, even though France has been so good in the autumn and for the first four games of the championship, the pressure and the scrutiny would have been enormous, would have been massive for them if they lost that game. So it's, it's, I, I thought it was great that you're going to make mistakes in the game. That, that's mm. fine. But I thought it was great that they, and like Alan says, I think it's absolutely right. They know who they are. Mm. They stick to their game plan. And, and they came out on top. They just kept that trust and faith in what they're about and thoroughly deserved winners. And I was the same at the on the telly, I was watching it. And my wife tried talking to me at one point. I said, hang on, hang on, hang on, quiet. Because it was the anthems. And I, and I wanted to hear the French anthem. And I got it from the telly. You could tell that place was rocking. And mm. because they haven't had success for 12 years, they're desperate to see it. And I'm actually really pleased that France, the superpower that I grew up watching, are back. And I think they're going to be around for a while as well. And, and the interesting thing is, is that whilst Six Nations time every year, we've got people desperately scrambling to be seen as an underdog of some kind. We had Gregory Audrey on this very podcast before the Six Nations started, and he said, it's time to deliver. We finished second for two years in a row. It's time to finally deliver. They're not scared of being front runners. Everyone talks about us, oh, World Cup, World Cup, World Cup. We're at the Six Nations before its World Cup year and they wanted to perform. They wanted to achieve something. They wanted to be a front runner. And it's it's important to, to look at the concepts of this. Yes, they're hosting the Rugby World Cup next year. Yes, there's then an Olympics after that. It's They're the current football world champions. And over 10 million people tuned in to watch a passionate French side 
um, perform incredibly well and deliver what they said they were going to deliver. And I just think it's great for the context of the global game. We, we need a moment like this, I think. It's, it's given a shot, everyone a shot in the arm. And as we'll go on to talk about, coaches and players and uh, pundits alike from all over the world now are scrambling. How can we keep up with France? Okay, well, there was another team out there, allegedly. Um, we're going to hear from Eddie Jones. Yeah, I think I've done a, a reasonable job for England over the, the past seven years. We're going through a, a period now where we're rebuilding the team. And it takes time, mate. You know, look at the French team. It took them three years to win the championship. You know, we've rebuilt the side from, from the last six nations. I, I think the progress is, is very positive. The results aren't the results that we'd like. We'd all like to be winning tournaments and all like to be at the top of the table, but we're not quite good enough to do that now. But within the next 12 to, to 14 months where we prepare for the World Cup, we will be. OK, that was Eddie. Um, one or two people didn't agree. The, the heading in the Thunderer this morning um, uh, with Owen Slot's byline, England did you deserve better. Huge headline with a picture of Eddie. And uh, in the Daily Mail, a little-known paper, but apparently it's still going, Eddie's neck should be on the block. So no patience there, really. I have to say I agree totally with that. I think that Eddie's in reverse. The chaos regarding the way they're trying to play and the selection is just utterly chaotic. I think Eddie knows it. And the idea that, as we now know, the England, the RFU have come out uh, to say they fully support Eddie Jones is unbelievable because they, at the same time they're announcing an investigation into what's gone right or what's gone wrong. So how can you fully support the coach when you're introducing uh, um, uh, an investigation into him, Al? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. It's, I suppose, the, the cynic in you could say, well, Eddie Jones wields so much power within the RFU. It's been his baby for two Rugby World Cup cycles. Rugby World Cup is the be-all and end-all because we keep hearing about that so Six Nations can go hang. Um, and, you know, he's beaten the world champions and I'm imagining it would be quite a lot of money to, to wave bye-bye. So you add all these things into the pot... Uh, it seems that it was always quite unlikely that Eddie Jones was going to go. I think what a lot of fans will find galling is the chat of the style of play. I just want to read out some numbers from you from this Six Nations. Um, England were outscored two tries to one versus Scotland, three tries to one versus Wales, four tries to zero versus Ireland, and three tries to one versus five. They are fifth in the table for red zone efficiency as in when they get into the opposition 22 only Italy were worse than them this Six Nations so that's the progress that we're being told is on um, the question is is do you want to shake things up this close to what we're told is the holy grail now uh, there's a couple there's two sides to that coin so you South Africa in 2018 made a change around about this time to get rid of Alistair Kutsia and bring in Razi Erasmus Australia got rid of Ewan McKenzie the World Cup cycle before and brought up brought in Cheka. the Pumas have just got rid of their head coach and Michael Cheka's back again uh, around about this time so change is possible on the other side of that coin though is uh, in the case of Australia and South Africa you can make a massive transformation this time out from a Rugby World Cup and really turn things around and turn turn it into a good team. But those were with coaching changes. The question, I suppose, is 
Can the same person make that massive monumental change from now till then? Well, he's made the massive monumental cock up, so I presume he, I presume he couldn't, couldn't. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done it in the first well, place. Well, yeah, that's the big question, S- isn't S- it? Sam, uh, what, what, what's your views? Um, you've been watching England, obviously, clearly closely in your capa- uh, capacity as summariser and commentator. What, what's your view? Are we, are we over the top, or are they struggling? I could imagine I could have a very strong view and say Eddie's got to go, but then, and this is where I would be completely humbled. He'd say, hang on a second. I've coached England to three Six Nations titles and taken two teams to a World Cup final. What have you done? So you go, okay, fair enough. So then I said, you think, well, who am I to say whether he's good to go or not? But then when you hear the facts, say what Alan just said, and like, we're talking about England now. Like, no, we're not talking about mm. Wales or Scotland or Italy who have been inconsistent, you know, over the last couple of decades. You know, we're talking England. Like, they got to be a superpower. It's disrespectful to England to say they're progressing, to England fans to say they're progressing with two wins out of five. That's that's not where England are at. That, that's not England, you know. They're like, they're one of the, the superpowers of world rugby. So it's, for me, it's just this whole World Cup thing. One is disrespectful to the Six Nations, Two is just buying yourself more time because the Six Nations is hugely important, massively important. And yeah, I, I just think if England came out and said, um, we're going to back, we're, we're really disappointed. England have under-delivered this campaign, but we're going to stick with Eddie Jones for the next 18 months. He's our guide to the World Cup. Then we will review. I think that at least that's a more honest assessment. But to say that they're pleased mm. with progress is just, is, um, is, is very dishonest, I think. And if it is, then there's a significant problem in the hierarchy of the RFU if they think that's acceptable for, from a leadership standpoint. So um, I just think, you know, from from an ambition, like you, you, that's just that's just not right. You, you, you shouldn't be speaking on behalf of England if that's your mindset because you're in the wrong place. So I think it's very a, a dishonest statement. Sam, when you were captain, uh, would you and Warren have, have got hold of, uh, I'm talking about the specific play, one of the specific plays that France used, that England used on on Saturday Night, would you have told Adam Jones to stick 60 yards back by the fullback and catch every long kick and beast it up 50 yards into the into the defence? I'd like to have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they did it in the autumn with Manu Tuolangi, didn't they? They put yeah, they put Manu yeah. at wing and he used to stand inside the fullback and then he'd charge it up. So Genge was just being asked to replace the role of Manu Tuolangi. But then you've got to go and ask him to scrimmage and maul and like, oh, Alan, like, oh, you know, that... The, the workload on front five is enormous in, in the pro game now, you know, and to, to do that as well, I think is a, a massive ass. And Genge, by the way, has been fantastic for England. I think he's really developed into a top-class player and leader for them. But it like, and see what Alan said on Ireland and France, they know their team. England and Wales clearly don't know their best 15. They, 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 they really don't know what their best 15 is, and that's a significant problem. You can see it with the number of changes they made. I think France made only five changes. England and, and Wales made something like 15 to 18 changes. Ireland made a lot, but that's because they got a, they do that at Leinster. they got a, a very good system where they can mm. drop players in and out, and some are injury-enforced, and they're in a position where they can rotate um, because they're doing well. But England and Wales are just a reflection of how they do not know their, their best 15. And I do think England have sorely missed Curry and Underhill together. I know Underhill's been injured I and mean, coming back and hasn't hit the heights that he needs to, but England need to physically dominate to be where they need to be. And I think they've really missed Curry the last few games. They've missed Underhill not being 
on top form mm. in this past 12 months since coming back from injury. You know, Watson's a big miss. May's a big miss. I think Farrell's been a massive miss from a game management and leadership perspective as well. So I think there are some key players to come back. I do believe that. But then again, this is England. We shouldn't be... Hang, or they shouldn't be hanging their hats on, on five players. Yeah, I, I, and that's that's a great point that Sam makes about Underhill and Curry uh, and Watson and, and Farrell is the bit. It's very clear the absence of Owen Farrell from this side. Um, yeah. And it, to, to talk to, I, and actually on selection, it's to throw in the curveball of going, we're going to drop Max Malins, who's played all six nations to bring in Furbank. Is Furbank going to be such a question mark that France are going to be bamboozled into not knowing what to do with him? It comes down to that identity thing because um, England can hammer away uh, in, in France's 22 and they spent over seven minutes in there uh, to, to get the to try and get a little change out of the game whatsoever. But it's when you look at the style of play that there was in that second half and you go, right, was the tactic to put up NRL-style fifth tackle, high balls into France's 22 and hope that they cough up enough of a mistake so that we can outscore them in tries? Fascinating tactic. Didn't didn't quite work out. I'm going to, you know, I suppose I'm going to have to be the one that plays devil's advocate here and say there are huge plus points in if you use Freddie Stewart properly... And if and if you use Joe Marchand in the vein that he's in at the moment, those guys have got a phenomenal upside. They've had very good Six Nations, and it'll be fascinating to see how those guys go. It's just this: the, what style of play you want that England uh, team to be playing? Because, um, you know, if Youngs is coming in and out, is, is are we going to stick with Harry Randall? It's just it's just fascinating. And I suppose one of the things you can say is you can afford to have question marks about this now. Next Six Nations, I don't know. I still say he should go. We now move on to um, the other games. I know we all feel conflicted, or maybe Welsh fans feel, feel conflicted, Sam, but um, we, we, we were despairing of Italy. Uh, 36 games losing. No doubt when you were captain, you would have hated to be the one who eventually lost to them, but there was a certain uplifting quality about it, wasn't there, even for Welsh fans? Obviously, I'm Welsh, right, through and through. And from a Welsh perspective, yeah, of course, we lost, I'm gutted. But I was actually, I can emotionally detach myself when I'm covering the game because I I kind of want what's best for rugby Mm. and for Mm. people to love rugby. And in in a very strange way, I was, hopefully it wasn't going to be at Wales' expense, which it was, but I was pleased that Italy won in the fashion they won and hopefully unearthing a gem and a, and a new poster boy beyond Parise who can... I, of course, a team needs to be built on more than one person, but mm. a team needs a catalyst. And I'm hoping this is going to be the catalyst for Italy. Then it's backed up with Treviso's efforts in the URC last year. And then it's backed up by the under-20s, I think winning three games in, in the championship this year. Then suddenly you're looking forward and you're like, okay, well... Yeah, let's keep the faith. Let's keep the let's keep building. I still think there should be relegation, mm. um, a, a playoff rather, and that's not a, to scapegoat Italy or anyone. And listen, I, if I was if I had Wales's best interest, I would not be suggesting this. You know, with one win in five, I'm saying it because I think it would be great entertainment. Imagine that Wales Italy game that just happened. Imagine Wales were a bonus point short of what they were, or a couple of bonus points short. Suddenly that Capuzzo line break and Padovani try could be one of the single greatest, most controversial moments ever in Six Nations history, which plummet Wales into a, a playoff game. You know, mm. I just think that the opportunity that could be there and, and obviously it would really help, it would really invigorate the teams in tier two, which might take 
another 10 years they get to that standard. But just to have that opportunity, I think, of that drama would be amazing. But yeah, I think it's... Pro- it's it, I, embarrassing is a strong word, but if I'm being honest, it, it's embarrassing losing at home to Italy because, you know, you, as a player, as a team, you always aspire to be one of the best in the world. And, and, it, and it, you know, would that happen to New Zealand at home? Would that happen to South Africa at home? It wouldn't happen to England at home. Mm. You don't, it's inexcusable, I think, to lose to Italy at home. It, it really is. And, you know, Italy haven't been like knocking on the door, by the way, in the last four games. They've been beaten well, 20 odd, 30 points a game. And then to go to Wales and win, I just think I'm, I'm actually baffled in how they did it with, with Wales, you know, it's and it is a, a dark day for Welsh rugby. Sam, uh, obviously, when these occasions, the coach out thing starts, it's, it's well in train in uh, Edinburgh, in uh, well in train in, uh, in England. Uh, we'll ask Al whether it's in training in uh, in Murrayfield as well. But um, Wayne Pivac's going to be under tr- under pressure. I mean, would I would I be wrong in thinking it's slightly premature to start talking about getting rid of him? Has he been that bad? You know, Eddie Jones has got a lot more credit in the bank because obviously he's got three titles under his belt and a mm. World Cup. So, you know, I think Eddie. That's why I think Eddie Jones. I think England will. They, they, well, they've said it, but I thought before the statement, they definitely stick with Eddie. You know, they mm. will. They're not going to... I think they would perceive it's quite football-esque to mm. just to give them the shepherd's hook now, which would be sort of very premiership football kind of um, standards. Uh, the thing with Pivak is, like, the, the only people we'll know are the people on the inside. Like, we... There could be all sorts of reasons why Team Wales lost a game. They could have they could have had a terrible. I'm not saying this is the case. They could have had a terrible training week where they did way too much volume. In which case, that's the fitness coach's staff. You know, were the players ill? Were they were they given the complete wrong tactics from coaches, which makes it the coach issue? Is it that Wales have been relying on the sort of senior players for too long? We haven't harnessed the younger players and. I, I think there's much deeper issues in Wales than just losing a game. I think it'd yeah. be superficial just to look at, oh, win Jones, disallowed try. It's, you know, it's getting to the point now with the national team have papered over cracks for a long, long time. And you know, Steve, as much as anyone else listening, that the reasons in WIU are not aligned in any shape or form. And we don't have the large player pool to pluck mm. out from 12 teams like France and England and we have to harness everything we have with a magnifying glass, with extreme accuracy and scrutiny, because we don't have, we only have 150 pro players to pick from, maybe less than that if you count the, the foreign guys in the regions, 120 pro players to pick from. We, we you know, we, have, we can't let anyone fall through the fishnet. We've got some good young athletes who need time put into them throughout the whole season from the national coaches and they can't just dip in and out of campaigns. You know, they've got to be supervised, monitored, progressed all year round. And the regions in W have got to be streamlined at the minute. They're not. It's, you know, regions don't have faith in the union and the union don't have faith in the regions, mm-hmm. you know, and it needs to somehow be aligned. It's going to take a lot of heads to get to bang them together and come out with the right solution. But if things are carrying on like they are, I cannot see much change. Very well, very well said. Yeah. And, and there's, there's no, there's no public discussion like the, the Welsh rugby public discussion about, about the state of the union and, you know, it will go on for a while. We'll hear a lot of voices on this. There'll be a lot of different views. I just want to bring it back to this game and how important it is for Italy. And actually, to not gloss over some of the aspects of Italy's play that were so special. And, you know, we're going to be talking about Ange Capoazzo a lot 
in the in the coming year, I suppose. He's secured himself a big move to Toulouse. He scored a couple tries against Scotland. He's put on a match winner for Edo Padovani against Wales. His future is very bright. Um, but Danilo Fischetti, the the loose head for for Italy, deserves enormous credit. He what a nuisance he was that entire game. That was the game of his life. Uh, Michele Lamaro, uh, the skipper, deserves huge credit for that match, and Garbisi for just chipping over the winner and giving us that moment of elation at the end. You know, these guys, it's a heroic effort because let's be honest, we don't know when we'll see it again. Hopefully, maybe things are starting to turn around and we'll see change. But I just think we need to give those guys the big banner moment. I'll, it's just going quickly going to Scotland because fair play, Wales may have lost, but at least they weren't on the piss like Scotland. So, um, <laughs> where would you say that leaves Scotland's drinking capacity now and their and their team? I think the drinking capacity has probably never been in question. Um, okay, <laughs> it's, it's interesting listening to listening to the the storm grow and grow. And actually, the way of things in the modern world now is sometimes stories break organically via WhatsApp, and there were voice notes voice notes doing the round explaining what had happened with Scotland, and obviously the veracity of those would need to be to be questioned. But the the clear thing that came out of this is that. There was an issue, it was handled internally. Everyone hoped that that would be swept under the carpet and that they could focus on the, here comes the buzzwords, a really good training week in preparation for the (laughs) test match. And however good that training week was, it didn't help because Scotland were completely humbled uh, by Ireland in in Dublin. It's an absolute stinker of a down note for Scotland and the Six, Six Nations where... There was a lot of ambition, and I think Sam even wrote in his column uh, before the Six Nations that Scotland had a really good chance. And in the end, what a damp squib it's been. Now, Steve wants to talk about the the trains rolling for the chat of of coaches uh, coming or going. I think for all these cases we're talking about, it's the point of no return now. So you decide to stick with someone, or you don't. You need to make that decision now because you can't make it in four months' time. So. Uh, afterwards, afterwards, the game it was put to Gregor Townsend, and he definitively said that he thought that he was going nowhere. Mm. Um, which uh, was, uh, sounds, sounds like he t- must. That could take that both ways. I'm going nowhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, so it's, uh, he must have a hell of a lot of say. But the thing, the the thing with the SRU is, is that there are two very, very powerful people in the building. It's him and Mark Dodson. So if they don't fancy change, change ain't happening. But mm. something needs to change. And there were a lot of grumpy players from that Scotland team afterwards, and. However much they try and say, oh, you guys are being negative, there's a lot of reasons to be negative because it was a horrible end to Six Nations for Scotland. Guys, thanks very much for that. Um, Absolutely fascinating insights there. Um, After a magnificent weekend, however you look at it, maybe controversial, but always magnificent and great for the Six Nations. Let's go on to God or Goddess. Al, we go on to yours first. Give uh, Sam a little bit more thinking time. But to be honest, God I, or I, Goddess? As much as I bigged up Daniel Fischetti, uh, it's got to be on Capoazzo. I mean, France got the Grand Slam, fantastic, but the little Italian wizard in only his second cap, his first ever start, pulled off a try winner, burnt past uh, Josh Adams, who was gracious enough to try and give him his Man of the Match award afterwards. Um, it's a name that hopefully we'll be hearing a lot more of. Sam? Yep, I agree, actually. Um, I would like to try and be authentic and think of someone different, but I just think Italy have been desperately needing someone other, since Parise has left this enormous void. I think all of us who witnessed Saturday's game against Wales will never forget the impact 
of Capuzzo and and he obviously he scored two tries a week before coming off the bench, you know. So I, I just re- I'm just really pleased that Italy have finally got a really high profile new poster boy who can hopefully help lead this team along with Garbisi and Fischetti who are, you know, Garbisi's what, 22, Fischetti's 24. And suddenly it looks mm. excited. So Capuzzo is going to be my um, God of the week. And, and I'm really pleased that he's delivered for Italy and hopefully is the catalyst for good things to come. And uh, I, I totally agree to make it 3-0, a rare, a rare a blanket vote there. And also, as uh, Sam said, the under-20s of in Italy have uh, have been not not dominant, but certainly one of the better teams. So that's that's all good, um, guys. Al, thank you very much for those uh, for your input and those stats. Are very very good. I never had you down as a stato, but they they were very good. Also, Sam, uh, for all your all your columns and all your comments during the Six Nations, um, as ever, mate, wonderfully well um, worth listening to and hearing. And uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be part of the team. There's no women's roundup this week, everybody, because on Thursday we have a full women's Six Nations preview. Coming up on Thursday with myself, Jess Hayden, England's Sarah McKenna, and C1 Lidlcrap, the Welsh captain. So we look ahead to that on Thursday. Thanks for joining us today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.